0: Hello there, you're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host. Today we are speaking with Greg Kimmel, National Security Business Line Manager, and John Clay, Research Lead at Battelle, an international nonprofit research and development firm headquartered in Columbus, Ohio. Battelle explores emerging areas of science, develops and commercializes technology, and manages laboratories for government customers. Beginning his career as a research scientist, Greg has served Battelle for 19 years. In addition to his work as general manager for Battelle's critical care decontamination system, he has spent a year as an industry fellow at the Eisenhower School for National Security and Resource Strategy. He also was president of Kimmel Engineering Solutions. John is a chemical engineer and research lead for the Battelle Critical Care Decontamination System, or CCDS, where he directs research and support of field deployments, including due diligence testing and performance evaluation of N95 filtering facepiece respirators. He is also a clinical professor at the Ohio State University Department of Chemical Engineering and a project management professional. Greg and John, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's our pleasure to be here. Thanks. Happy to join.
0: John, would you provide our listeners with a a quick history on how the critical care decontamination system was developed? Uh, This was an existing project that the Food and Drug Administration had engaged Battelle to investigate, correct?
1: Uh, That's absolutely correct. And our CCDS, so critical care decontamination system, approach is based on a study from the 2015-2016 timeframe. That study was commissioned in response to the Ebola outbreak and the government recognized if Ebola had spread around the world, there would have been a shortage of these N95 respirators. The N95 respirators are intended as single-use personal protective equipment, but the study investigated if we could have some method to decontaminate those and reuse those in case of an emergency. So fast forward to early this year when it became apparent that COVID was going to spread to the US and the government reached out to us and asked if we could scale up the solution we had developed back in 2015-2016. That study utilized vapor phase hydrogen peroxide or VPHP to decontaminate those respirators. And decontamination is a necessary but not sufficient barrier to overcome and to enable us to reuse N95 respirators after we decontaminate that respirator must still function and be safe to wear so as part of that FDA study we not only looked at whether it could decontaminate pathogens but we also tested the performance of the respirators do they still filter is the inhalation resistance changed, or the ability to breathe when I have those on does the fit is the fit impacted and we demonstrated back in 2015-2016 that we were able to to decontaminate for greater than 20 cycles and still retain those properties. So earlier this year, we scaled that solution up from a laboratory scale to a manufacturing scale. And part of this is due to the unique biological testing capabilities that Battelle has. We have biosafety level three, BSL three, Uh, testing capabilities at our West Jefferson location. So we were one of the first U.S. labs to receive the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So this allowed us to demonstrate that that decontamination approach would effectively remove that pathogen and then allow those N95s to be reused.
0: So when did you find out that, John, when did you find out uh, that uh, these uh, N95 masks could actually be cleaned up to 20 times to extend their life
1: so in that 2015-2016 study you know no one had looked at, at decontaminating these n95 respirators prior to that so we actually took them up to 50 decontamination cycles and the beauty of the vapor phase hydrogen peroxide is it's extremely benign on the materials or at least the materials for these n95s but we started seeing after about 25 to 30 cycles, we started seeing some impact on the the elastic straps. They were starting to deteriorate. And that's going to impact the fit for the respirator. So that's why when we went to FDA and we had the evidence to produce to them to, to ask for an emergency use authorization to allow us to decontaminate these respirators, we limited it at 20 decontamination cycles. And then my role on the CCDS is to head up the research arm. And so we've been working for months to look at all sorts of different respirators. There's various vendors who make these, there's various styles of the N95 FFRs. So we have procured those and then we've we've done the due diligence testing to ensure that those properties are retained, no matter whether the vendor is 3M, Moldex, Kimberly Clark, Honeywell, or any of the other vendors.
0: You know, I think all of us have become a lot more, um, have a, hot, a a lot more expertise on how many PPEs there are out there now, more than we would have uh, thought a year ago, that's for sure.
1: And I'll tell you that it's amazing, even now, you know, we've been in operation over six months, we continue to get requests from various potential partners, and we see new types of respirators I'm gonna say almost on a weekly basis now. Early on, there was a huge number that we'd see each week. Um, we've now seen and screened most of those types of respirators to make sure they're they're compatible with our process. But even now, after six months of operation, every once in a while, we'll still get a request for something we have not seen yet. So we have to do a little more digging in to make sure that, we, that, that things work.
0: That's incredible. Um, Greg, how did you scale up the system to quickly move from research to commercial use?
1: Um, yeah, so
2: I think one of the reasons we were able to successfully do that is, you know, as you kind of referenced in the kickoff, you know, Battelle is a very large R&D company. Um, so we have the privilege of having uh, skill sets that kind of, you know, go across many different disciplines. Um, so as, as John alluded to, you know, we have biosafety level three laboratories and, you know, people that are deeply rooted in, in biological sciences and chemical sciences Um, But we also have the ability to do uh, equipment development, system design, and engineering type work um, to really transition technologies out of the lab and into the field. Um, So, you know, I would say that as part of Battelle's pandemic response and and our leadership's direction is we took uh, pretty much our entire enterprise and focused them on uh, COVID response and what we could do with um, with our skill sets and our offerings to really help um, help the, the US and, and the and the world uh, to try to help, you know, combat uh, the COVID-19 pan, pandemic. Um, so I think what really allowed us to scale this so quickly is one, you know, we did have the base knowledge and we did have the technology and the science proven, um, which is usually, you know, some of the hardest part of anything is proving the technology works. And since we had the original FDA study to build on, we were able to to basically take that and then only worry about scaling and, and producing. Um, so, you know, the, the short time frame we had to do this, um, you know, I think, you know, I received a call from our president on a Thursday afternoon asking me to, you know, have a design complete and a system built within the week. Um, you know, so when you're asked to move that fast, um, one of the first things you do is find out what's available. Um, and so when we did this, you know, the first thing we did was kind of looked at the supply chain to see what Devices and what equipment, what material we could get our hands on in, in a quick fashion uh, that would allow us to scale this device. You know, at this time, we didn't know how many we needed to build, but we had a feeling that we need to build as many as we possibly could. Um, you know, so, you know, that's kind of how we ended up uh, with the shipping container uh, model um, again, and that was strictly out of what could we get our hands on this weekend to really start a design and fabrication process. Um, so shipping containers are readily available. Um, you know, you can get those, um, you know, near rail, rail yards. There's actually quite a few, um, vendors for those in, in the Columbus area. So that's kind of how we focused on, um, the shipping container model of, uh, the CCDS, um, platform.
0: Well, it's also nice that we're in a logistics and transportation hub here.
2: Correct. Correct. I think uh, you know at the end of the program, I'm sure there's people that normally use shipping containers were wondering why they were so hard to get at the end of March and April Mm. uh, because I believe we probably consumed most of them. Um, But yeah, it was it was a it was a great benefit. I mean, to be honest, we ordered. Um, our first eight shipping containers on a Saturday morning and had them delivered on a Saturday afternoon to, to allow us to start fabrication.
0: Wow. Uh, what were some of the challenges moving into production and establishing operations other than the FDA approval hurdle?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I think the biggest challenge with anything like this are, are the unknowns. Um, you know, we got the FDA approval in uh, late March uh, when the FDA approval came in. You know, we were in discussions with Uh, the federal government uh, to try to figure out how we could assist their COVID response and their COVID task force by deploying these systems across the country. Um, So all we knew is we needed to build them, um, but we weren't for sure how many and exactly where they're going to be. Um, So we had to basically establish a process of a system that would allow us to, you know, fabricate these at the same time we were fabricating these devices. We also had to uh, field teams that were knew how to operate them, knew how to operate them safely, and then also be willing to travel um, and in up to sixty different locations because at that time we didn't know where we were going um to basically operate these uh, systems on a twenty four seven basis for as long as we could. Um, so there you know we, there was we basically had to stand up an entire you know entire response, everything from the production to the design drawings to contract manufacturers to, uh, an entire, you know, recruiting platform, training platform, uh, and deployment team um, to basically execute these systems. Um, you know, none of this was, you know, all of this was developed as the program was executing. Um, you know, the team did a fantastic job. I think to date, we've hired over 1,200 people uh, to support this program in the field. Um, so yeah, I think the the biggest challenges were, um, you know, trying to stand up not just the system and design the system. Um to be honest, looking back, that was probably the easiest part. Um you know, the hardest part was you know the staffing and the operations and deployment piece um, of of getting these systems set up and actually operational at all the different locations across the country.
0: I have to ask about the contract manufacturers. Was that a, a easy or difficult process? <clears throat>
2: um, it was, you know, I would say it was. Uh, it was a relatively easy process because you know the speed we had to move, uh, and the materials we had to use. Um, you know, the overall design was, uh, um, I would say, pretty simplistic, and most um, fabrication houses could assist us with that. Um, you know, one of the things we did when we laid out the design is, you know, we pretty much nailed down the supply chain pretty tight on exactly. What we needed and how many of 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 those things we would need to build the device. Uh, so when we approached our manufacturing partners, uh, we had a pretty good understanding of what that supply chain looked like, and we could direct them, uh, you know, in and to the right vendors, to the right people to make sure they could secure the parts that we specified. Um, so we had a you know a whole team dedicated to just focusing on that piece, um, you know, and. At a pretty rigorous uh, design and and uh, configuration management process um, to kind of keep our contract manufacturers aligned and in sync with our uh, design and design process back here in Columbus.
0: All right, good to know. Uh, i'll I'll ask either of you to to answer this next question. Uh, were you expecting the amount of hype that occurred when the announcement was made? Uh, you know how did the team handle you know both the praise and the criticism that came along with that?
2: Yeah, I can probably start off with this. I think, you know, I think from the hype perspective is I don't think anybody was really expecting any hype or any like real critical outcome. You know, I would say during those um, three to four weeks, you know, most of the Battelle team was working, you know, 16, 18 hour days, seven days a week. Um, And, you know, and everybody was just focused on getting the mission accomplished and getting the system designed, built, getting the operations up, the training plans done. So I don't think anybody was really, evaluating or looking for the hype. Um, you know I would say Batel is is um, not well known outside of the circles we run in. So I think that's where um, the 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 not- the not- the notoriety I guess in the the public facing piece of Batel, um, I think is what caught a lot of people by surprise. you know the fact that we were mentioned on the Today show and the president tweeted about us, and you know, and there was you know New York Times articles and and you know OSU um, NPR stories. You know that's just something Battelle hasn't had the privilege of, of of being on. So I think those that's that's when the hype started to come in. Um, you know, and people started to recognize and being proud of you know working for Battelle in more of a public setting. Uh, because again, most of the things we work on aren't at this level or get this level of publicity. Um, you know, like any big program, um, you know, you're going to have your critics. I think, you know, um, you know, John and I spend a lot of time, you know, answering tough questions because again, people are concerned. Um, decontamination is not a known entity. A lot of people don't understand what decontamination means. Um, they don't understand the science behind it. So we spend a lot of our time um, you know, trying to explain to the people that maybe criticize the technology is is mainly because they don't really understand the technology and they don't understand the the science that the technology is rooted in and the amount of um, due diligence that went into that original FDA study that allowed us to scale this technology. Um, so I would say that, you know, like any big program that involves any sort of federal action, usually you have your critics. Um, so I don't think anybody was surprised by that, um, but most of the critics came at us at a at, out of a, a, a I guess, they came they came at us from a point of concern about the technology uh, versus coming at us against, you know, for for not liking the system mm-hmm. It was usually just out of a misunderstanding or just concerned for their safety or their uh, constituents safety. So, you know, we spent a lot of time just, you know, answering those questions with the facts and the science behind the system. Uh, and that usually, you know, helped subside some of their concerns.
0: It sounds like a lot of uh, a good time for some over communication. So, John, did you end up being big man on campus after all of this?
1: I, I had to answer a lot of tough technical questions. But the the good news is, you know, I'm proud to state that we really did our due diligence as far as backing up the technology with science. You know, I'm an engineer, and so everything I do from brushing my teeth to picking my job to, you know, executing a project is based on data. You know and that's what we have on this we have a huge amount of data so you know like greg said the criticism for the most part um it was people who were worried about it because it was you know they felt unproven when we were able to engage them and walk through the science that we had and walk through the data i can't think of one constituency where at the end of it they said oh okay you know, um, I can't think of anyone who said that doesn't make sense or I disagree. You know, at the end they would say, oh, I didn't know you guys had performed those tests. I didn't know you had investigated that. So I think the rigor with which we approach this uh, really helped allay a lot of those concerns that people had.
0: And what has been the overall impact how many hospitals are using the system? How many uh, uh, decontamination units do you have now um, to date?
2: Yeah, I can answer that question. So, um, you know, that to me, if you talk about what have been some of the most surprising um, pieces of this technology and in, in this operation, um, I would say it would be the number of hospitals that have signed up to potentially use the system. So, as of today, we have over twenty-five thousand sites um, of healthcare providers that are signed up and, and able to utilize the CCDS system. Um, I think if you would have told us that in March that we would have that many people registered to use the device, we would not have believed you. Um, I think, you know, so that's been um, a a huge notice and a huge um, indicator of the need or potential need, right? So we have everybody that signed up to use the system because they needed it immediately. We have, you know, hospitals that have signed up uh, because they think they may need it. Um, You know, so they want to have it ready. Um, So, you know, we're kind of across the board on the utilization of those 26,000 locations. But, um, you know, we do have that many signed up at uh, across, you know, not just the continental US, but we have, you know, a system in Hawaii, we have people from Alaska, we have uh, places from Puerto Rico, um, you know, all registered uh, to utilize the system.
0: Do you have any specific feedback from hospital administrators or staff that you can share?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, most of the hospital administration that we've engaged in, they've been very supportive of the system. Actually, some of them actually helped us uh, deploy the systems in our initial couple fieldings, both at you know um, Mass General in Boston, Stony Brook in New York. Uh, we had a lot of straight hospital administrators Um support in those of course you know right here at Ohio Ohio health has been a huge um, a huge partner of ours you know they help us kind of get everything started uh, they're the ones that you know kind of laid out the initial need and, and kind of got the 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 mental juices flowing on how to how to scale this technology um, so no we've had a we've had a huge uh, partnership with both local hospital administrations at other states and also um, the American Hospital Association at the at large uh, working with kind of those you um, those you know large scale associations just to get the notification and the and the details about the system and the availability. I mean, it is a free service. Um, you know, the federal government is providing this service you know at no charge to any healthcare provider that wants to use it. Um, so the biggest challenge for us was um, getting the technology and the process in place at these healthcare providers. Um, you know, the the healthcare community is a very um, rigorous and procedural driven organizations so that was uh, one of the challenges we had is you know they have this new technology how do we get this new technology into their supply chain uh and into their normal routines so they can collect you know masks that are you know free of soiling free of makeup um such that they can send those to us so we can clean them and get them back to them
0: makeup must have been a tough one to clean uh
2: makeup is our so we have a what we call a discard rate so Um, You know, we do a quick visual inspection of every mask that comes through our system. And if it is visibly soiled, um, we have to discard it. Um, Mm. That is specifically stated in our uh, FDA EUA. Um, So I would say our highest uh, reason for discarding is makeup. Um, That is a very hard, you know, that is very hard thing for people not to put on after they've, you know, been putting makeup on for, you know, 30, 40, 50 straight years every morning. Um, that was that was a hard thing, and it continues to be our our largest reason for discarding mass.
0: And I think you you have some uh, uh, some kindred spirits in the uh, hospitality industry that would uh, say the same thing. Um, <coughs> so, uh, I actually, since this is a manufacturing podcast, I have to ask. Uh, I've um, I've been uh, involved with a, a, a number of uh, roundtables, national roundtables for manufacturers, and a number of them talked about the the PPEs, and uh, and there was um, an estimate uh, uh, conducted by Ned Hill, who's a, an economist uh, f- uh, associated with Ohio Manufacturing Institute, that indicated uh, I think uh, about 1.3 million masks would be needed per uh, I think per per day uh, here in the state alone, and. Ah, uh, some of the manufacturers indicated that they cut some of their um, their N95 masks up and had a special holder for them, so that they could uh, you know extend the life of of them in, in a completely different way than what you're doing. So, is is there any um, interest in moving beyond uh, healthcare?
2: Yeah. So, I would say I'm going to answer that, and then I'll let um, John jump in here too. I think you know one of the things that you know. I would say one of the things that impacted our initial quantities, our initial throughput um, of the CCDS system was, you know, every hospital, every healthcare provider saw this issue coming or already had this issue by the time we deployed. So most um, uh, hospitals put in their own conservation techniques, right, on how they were going to conserve. You've heard people put them in plastic bags or paper bags, in the same respirator all week you know, um, and those type of things, or, you know, or just not getting in 95s unless you're actively seeing a COVID patient. Um, So there were a lot of conservation um, techniques put in place by all the healthcare providers, um, you know, during and before uh, the CCS system got there. So when it came to healthcare providers adopting our technology, uh, one of the hurdles we had to overcome was to get them comfortable with our system as a way to stop doing some of their other conservation techniques they were they were already had in place, right? So instead of a, a healthcare worker, you know, wearing the same mask for seven straight days, um, you know, for, you know, 12 hour shifts, you know, they could wear those one, for one day, send them back, and then it would be clean and, and put back on. Uh, so those, those were some of our implementation hurdles we had um, as we were putting things through. So um, yeah, there was definitely, um, the demand was there, every, you know, every emergency management, um, state level organization I talked to as we we're deploying you know those those numbers of a million a day you know 500,000 a day of potential utilization um, were, were typical numbers I was hearing across you know across the country
1: I want to I want to back up you know since this is a manufacturing podcast and and talk about Greg earlier was talking about how we were able to rapidly you know scale up um, I want to give a shout out to, you know, some of our manufacturing partners and, you know, in part early in the COVID days, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty. Um, Some facilities were closing down or were working on reduced shifts to, to enforce social distancing. So there was a lot of manufacturers who were, you know, hungry for work and were more than happy to jump on this. But I think it was more than that. I think there was also just a shared sense of people wanting to do their part to help out. And, and I witnessed that with at least two of our Ohio manufacturing partners where, you know, we were on calls early on and, and they told me, they said, we have been given direction by upper management to do whatever, whatever we can do to help out. We're not going to worry about contracts right now. Everything's going to sort itself out. Um, if we can help you right now, today, you tell us, you know, what you need to provide and, you know, how we can help based on our, our resources. So I really think that the ability of manufacturers to come together for a common cause, to understand the gravity of the situation and be willing to step up. I think that was vital in helping us roll these systems out.
0: Oh, that's great to hear. Um, so in what other ways has Patel pivoted to help with COVID-19? I, I, I read that there were some, some other things, but I, I didn't get any details on that.
1: So I'll, I'll start and then Greg can come in and, and augment. The our we have a very strong um, healthcare segment of our business, um, and they do everything from you know testing of various therapeutics to drug delivery devices, research diagnostics, etc. Um, Batel has partnered with OSU, um, there's a, a COVID antibody test that's been jointly developed um, from that, and then Batel is also testing out you know other decontamination strategies for other things other than n95 respirators so we performed work uh, here in the u.s on looking at decontaminating face shields for instance we've also done work for some international folks looking at how we would decontaminate KN95 respirators. So those are the ones that are manufactured in China. Mm -hmm. FFP2 and FFP3 respirators that are over in, and they're used over in Europe. So there's been a couple of ways we've been able to expand our, our potential work and support in the response to
0: this pandemic. Greg, anything you want to add?
2: Yeah, no, I think, you know, John, John mentioned, you know, um, you know, I would say that, you know, as we were building the CCDS system and testing it for the first time, you know, the, the, I, I, every time I walked into the, you know, out of the parking lot in the lab at, you know, midnight or 1am in the morning, I would tell you that the uh, antibody um, and the COVID testing facility was also uh, full of people as they were trying to work in to, to develop um, some sort of test method for uh, COVID, um, in partnership with Ohio state. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, we also have a pretty large public health, um, offering. So, you know, we were, um, had programs and people deployed and, um, you know, and, and more as in El Paso to support, um, kind of, you know, local municipalities and state governments, uh, with their COVID response, you know, policies and initiatives and, and, and other actions like that. So. Um, yeah, Battelle was, was, you know, kind of supporting across the board when it came to uh, a lot of things COVID-related.
0: Looking ahead, what uh, new developments along these lines would you like to share that are on the docket for Battelle?
1: This is John. I'll, I'll start. Um, you know, Greg alluded to the fact earlier that, in general, Battelle likes to keep a low profile. We're happy working behind the scenes. We're happy giving our customers solutions to various things. We don't need, you know, since we're a contract research firm, we're often solving some of our clients' hardest problems. They don't really want other people knowing that they have that problem or how they arrived at the solution. I think getting Battelle's name out there, especially showing that we could rapidly scale up, manufacture this complex logistics have the fabrication support and manufacturing support to build, train, deploy, and uh, utilize these decontamination systems. I think that's gonna open up other market opportunities for us. I think people are gonna think of Battelle not just as you know a an academic shop with lots of PhDs who are doing some esoteric research, but we're, we're a very applied research organization. And I'm looking forward to how once things get back to normal, other opportunities that are gonna open up for Battelle where we can help our customers um, find solutions to some of their other tough problems where formerly they may not have thought of us, but I think our execution on this has shown that you know we can we can operate near the tip of the spear, we can operate on in very agile projects and very applied research. So I'm looking forward to that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'll second that. I think you know, coming um, from the national c- security business sector, uh, you know, one of the things that I know our DoD uh, customers have been focused on, you know, moving fast, getting things to the field, um, and and you know, augmenting and improving as they're there. And I think you know, Patel has shown that that is something we can do, uh, taking a, a basically a you know an FDA laboratory study. Uh, and basically, fielding it and operationalizing it in less than 30 days is pretty pretty phenomenal. And the fact that we're still operating it, you know, six months in, uh, supporting the mission and continue to improve, uh, I think it's just a, a proof point of the the capability that's right here in Ohio in Columbus, um, you know, that's been here for 90 years uh, and the great work that we can do both in the national security sector but also in the healthcare sector.
0: Greg and John, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for the opportunity. We appreciate it. Yeah,
2: it's great to have this conversation. Thank you.